Welcome everyone to the second annual Roger Corman birthday celebration! I'm Ryan, with me as always is Mark. Happy birthday, Roger. And Erica. Happy birthday, Roger. Now, if you are an NWPP VIP, you will remember last year when we had our first annual Roger Corman birthday celebration, all three of us planned to watch one of Roger Corman's uh, Poe movies, specifically Mm -hmm. uh, the, The Fall of the House of Usher or House of Usher. Um, the only person who didn't get that memo was Mark. Oh no, I got that memo. We said House of Usher, Mark heard Poe, and just picked at random. (laughs) So if you listen back to that episode, you will hear Mark slowly realize he has listened to the wrong film. (laughs) What's great about that episode is I truly didn't realize I watched the wrong movie. Until good 15-20 minutes in. Until well into it. And I was like, wait a minute. Our, our our traveling through the plot of this movie is not lining up. <laughs> and then I went, wait a minute, I think I made a mistake. <laughs> but I would say that did not take away from the enjoyment of listening to that episode. In fact, I think it added an element that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're a good year and a half in at this point of doing our podcast. I think it added a freshness to our episode. Oh, yeah. That was, it, that yeah was a freshness that, that we needed. On this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Was, things were becoming too stale. Yeah. And too, way too stale. <laughs> and it really right. turned the first ever Roger Corman celebration episode into the first annual, as Ryan mentioned. Right. It went first, annual. It went mid-episode. annual. Mid-episode. Mid-episode, it went annual. So this year, we decided to mix it up a little bit differently. And we decided, let's again watch a Roger Corman film. Um, but we're not going to tell each other what we watched. So Eric and I watched a movie and Mark watched a movie. So let's listen to the the trailer of the movie Eric and I watch and see if we watch the same one. This should get interesting. desires transcend reality. The mysterious powers of black magic, these you will explore. Now what is it you need? You got some dried blood off a bat in the house? The raven will take you careening through the darkest of dangers into the ominous mystery of a master magician's evil castle. I offer you a choice. The secret of your hand manipulations or this against this. Well, don't just stand there. Do something. This is no answer. Very well, then. 
a duel to the death. was a very long trailer <laughs> and, and i cut out part of the beginning god what? yeah wow yeah and i was like why would this i tried i was like there's got to be something shorter this is an older movie there wasn't no buckle in <laughs> back buckle then in. back then people needed really long trailers they needed yeah they, they needed buy-in yeah, yeah, they didn't want people didn't like surprises when they came to the movie theater, and they yeah. were like, "I need to know exactly what I'm getting into." Yeah. So Eric and I watched 1963's The Raven, and now we're gonna find out what movie Mark watched. Thirty years ago, Roger Corman began to explore the dark side of the American psyche with movies like The Undead, The Pit, and The Pendulum, and the original. Little Shop of Horrors. Now, he feels the world is ready for the greatest horror story ever told, as it's never been told before. Frankenstein Unbound, starring John Hurt, Raul Julia, and Bridget Fonda, directed by Roger Corman. Yes, I watched 1990's Frankenstein Unbound. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Roger Corman's return to the return, director's chair. Yes. Wow. Look, this is a star-studded cast. John Hurt, Raul Julia, Bridget Fonda. It's even got uh, Michael Hutchins, like the singer of In Excess, is in it for wow. a little bit. Like this, R.I.P. This movie has everything except a good movie. Mm. <laughs> well, listen, you maybe weren't ready for him to be Unbound. You yeah. were regular. You were used to the regular you, Bound. You like him Bound. You yeah. like him Bound. I, yeah. I, <laughs> And Too I, much don't like a, I also don't like a rebound. So, <laughs> no, no, you, you, that's why your least favorite parts of basketball. <laughs> if I were a basketball coach, there would be no right. rebounding. <laughs> Guys, just let the ball fall to the floor. Put your hands up in the air. Do not try to grab anything. Do not pick it right. up. Just put your you hands can... up in a not me gesture. <laughs> you can pull a hammy. Don't right. do that. And just let it roll slowly out of bounds eventually. <laughs> And then we'll throw it in. That uh, is so, hilarious. Uh, Frankenstein Unbound. It was something that they always would ask Roger Corman about and he when he was running New World Pictures. And he kept saying, this year I'm going to direct a movie. This year I'm going to direct a movie. And then he wouldn't. 
So he saved it up for Frankenstein Unbound. And I should say, afterwards, then he, again, retired and did yes. not direct something well, else. When you so. make a movie like Frankenstein Unbound, you it's sort of your chef's kiss to your director <laughs> directing career. You're well, like, I did it all. I've seen it all. There's nothing more to, for me to say in this medium. <laughs> I've said it all. I <laughs> finally unbound Frankenstein. <laughs> Unlike well, all the bound versions. And when seen. you think about that title, Frankenstein Unbound... It's funny when you read the letterboxed description of this movie, it uh, it doesn't seem to uh, to align with the title. Uh, the letterboxed description of this movie is the ultimate weapon claimed to be safe for mankind, which is a weird statement in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. a weapon that's safe for everybody. Mm-hmm. The Produce ultimate it. weapon, <laughs> right? That's safe. That's safe. For- yeah. <laughs> produces global side effects, including time slides and disappearances. The scientist behind the project and his car are zapped from the year 2031 to 1817 in Switzerland, where he meets Dr. Victor Frankenstein, Mary Shelley, and others. Wow. Well, how wow. does it pay off on that? He goes with his car and he does meet them. Okay. And it's it's one of those movies that's historical fiction. Okay. That, so he meets Frank Dr. Frankenstein. He meets Mary Shelley. Mary Shelley's writing the book Frankenstein. But there is Frankenstein's monster in okay. real life. Okay. Okay. Sure. So, okay. <laughs> And so is he like, the ultimate weapon or no? Oh, so, no. so it's an well, autobiography? Does, in the then? very beginning, or... he he demonstrates that he's created this laser weapon that can destroy anything. Like, and so he he shoots his laser at a at a model of the Empire of the um Statue of Liberty, and it disappears. And like the whole thing is like this can end war because I can now just make things disappear and it won't have any environmental environmental impact. That's the statement. I don't know how that ends war. But that's that's at least what they're trying to get you to believe. But Where does doing, it all go? Just, I, just, he just, just, I don't know. Because okay. it opens up the space-time continuum and sucks oh. him into 1817 with his car. And his car is oh. basically like a Knight Rider car that has its oh. own artificial intelligence. And he talks to it and it talks to him. That makes this sense. This is John Hurt, by the way. John wow. Hurt. Yeah. Who is great. But this movie is wild (laughs) then he i mean then he's walking around and he's meeting dr frankenstein and he's like oh i know all these people because i've read the book but like they're all looking at him like why are you in a t-shirt and a blazer Mm -hmm. it's 1817 you look ridiculous and he quickly finds new clothes so they kind of breeze over that Oh, okay. Um, well, good. Oh, phew. It was so <laughs> easy. Honestly, though, it was so easy to find, like, just free clothes back then. That would probably like, be the easiest part of going back in time. Yeah. Just be like, well, just let's just get some clothes. Just grab them off a line clothes. or, you know, off yeah, a clothes line. Exactly. You know. That's easy. Out people, some... Yeah. Uh, you just grab them off. You're right. Exactly. And people see his car. At one point in time, uh, uh, I mean, people, like, like, he's talking to his car. Uh, the car is talking back. And Frankenstein's monster is like, what is this thing? It, it talks to you? And he's like, yes, it's like a human. And Frankenstein's monster just goes, huh, okay. Like, <laughs> okay. Uh, Bridget Fonda's character, who's, who's Mary Shelley, she sees the car and she says, is this your carriage? 
And he's like, uh, yes, it is. And so they get in and they drive around and she's super excited. Uh, she's not like horribly terrified that you're driving in a car going way faster than a horse and buggy could ever take you. But then fast forward a little bit later, they have to go somewhere and she says, let's take your car. She would have never known the word car. Like that was never mm. said. How would she know that word? So, so that, they, they that's talk- what ruined it for you. That's, what- <laughs> that's what took you out of it. That tracks. It was, it was <sighs> the one part of the movie that I paused and went, I don't think I buy this anymore. Um, <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. That, that, so, but don't you think that they, they talked about the car part when he was getting new clothes? That was probably when they were chatting about that. <laughs> I know, but they didn't talk as about he was, being a car. As he was changing his clothes, he was like, oh, by the way, this is called a car, just so you all know. I have new clothes now. And continue. <laughs> yeah, so um, it's definitely not the Raven. No, it um, does not sound anything like the Raven. I'm restarting my computer because my computer froze. So I... Oh. So do you need yeah. me to keep talking about this? Yes. Do you want me to keep remembering? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So the the real plot here is John Hurt's character. The real Dr. plot. Thank Dr. God Buchanan. Not the one that Letterboxd is trying to convince you of. The plot unbound. Here we go. <laughs> Unbind so, it. Dr. Buchanan, who's John Hurt's character. So he's he's thrown into the middle of this. Uh, there is a um, uh, Dr. Frankenstein's uh, uh, son was murdered. Uh and he blames the nanny, uh, but the, but he knows that it's the monster that killed his son because the monster at night just kind of goes around killing people. She, uh, she gets uh, put on trial and is found guilty. <clears throat> and Dr. Buchanan's trying to save her. Uh, he tries to get Mary Shelley, who, uh, who's Bridget Fonda, to help him. And she's just like, nah, I don't want to get in the middle of this. And she basically disappears from the movie at that point. I don't know huh. if like her contract ran out. Or if she just, uh, I don't know, she just walked off set at one point. But like she basically just disappears. And you're like, oh, I guess wow. she's not in this anymore. That's when After, she retired. That's when she yes, retired when she right retired. there. <laughs> there that was Mid-film. She, like, she was like, I don't need to be in these movies anymore. Um, this is after, like, she, I guess, has sex with John Hurt's character. It's a, it's a very, this is a very PG oh, R-rated movie. Finally, so that Bridget yeah. Fonda, John Hurt love scene we've all been waiting for. Yes, exactly. So... Ugh. You go back in time and you sleep with somebody from that era? Yikes. You're bringing a lot more back to your present day than than new clothes. Let's just keep it at that. Right, right. <laughs> you're you're bringing something something totally new. Yeah. Um Yeah. <laughs> what happens in 1870 Switzerland does not stay in 1870 Switzerland. <laughs> uh So uh, okay, so then um his uh Dr. Frankenstein's fiance dies. Uh, she's killed. And uh, Dr. Frankenstein wants to bring her back to life. Uh, and that's mm. because, and the monster too, because the monster kills her because he's like, if I can't have a woman, you can't have a woman. Huh. So they're both pining over this woman that they're going to bring back to life. They they get Dr. Buchanan to hook up his car to the metal of the tower during a wow. lightning storm to use the car to give the extra electricity to bring her back to life so the car oh, plays wow. an integral role at one point in time he's talking so, to to so Mary dr Shelley. buchanan dr buchanan saw back to the future then right he knew, yes. right yeah he knew so how to because... harness the power of lightning mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at one point in time well hold on i'm gonna finish this the finish the story then i'll go back to my favorite scene okay uh 
So they 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 accomplish bringing uh, Doctor Frankenstein's fiance back to life, uh, and in doing so, it tears open another space time continuum oh, no! that sends them into a future, far future space. So they're still in Switzerland, but they're in like it's all covered in snow now, and it is so obviously a set like. Not a set where you're thinking, oh, you know, it kind of looks like a, it just looks like a set, meaning like it's like a stage and the background mm. is just sort of like an off sort of whitish blue as though the light, the land goes on forever. But it's, I mean, it is the size of a stage, like a theatrical stage. Wow. So now they're there. Did they, they did they, how, did he use the lumber yard? Was the lumber yard still around at this point? I, I have, no, this is 1990. Oh. I don't know. That's a really yeah. good question. I wonder. But it's very, so the fiance is, is alive and is, well, is uh, unbound at this point. And uh, <clears throat> Frankenstein's monster threatens to hurt her. And so Dr. Frankenstein pulls out his pistol and he points it at the Frankenstein's monster and right before he pulls the trigger, his fiance tur- grabs a gun so that he shoots her in the chest and kills her instead. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. Wow. Right. Who who wrote this script? It was written by someone you've never heard of called Roger Corman. Oh, and, oh he wrote it straight from the from Roger Corman's brain. Roger Corman and FX Feeney, and it is based oh, okay. on a book called Frankenstein Unbound. Wow. Huh. Um, at any rate, uh, it, it, it's, uh, it was the best thing you've ever seen. It's, it's the, I mean, I'm kind of jealous that we yeah. didn't watch I mean, it to be honest. I kind of want to watch it to Where be can we watch? Where did you watch it? Yeah. I watched it on YouTube because okay. I couldn't find it anywhere else. There's a few uh, copies of it on YouTube. One okay. of them is claiming to be Blu-ray quality, which is somewhat laughable because blue, because YouTube's going to compress it anyway. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, you don't understand compression and files. Yeah, but it's um, it's it's an, it's a weird movie. It's really the the Frankenstein's monsters sort of the the monster itself. It, imagine a flesh colored. Uh, he sort of looks like the demon in Legend, but without oh. the horns. But mm. as though he went to like and played piercing... by Tim Curry, yeah, <laughs> not played by Tim Curry. Oh, okay. But, um, but with like a lot of random piercings, mm. like there's huh. like metal, there's like metal pieces in his face for reasons I don't understand. Even when they brought back the fiance, she also has metal pieces. I guess that's how they plug in the electrodes or something to bring it back to life. But the metal stays in the face. Um. Huh. When you when you unbound him, that's what happens. Yeah, yeah well, that's what you know? happens when you yeah. unbound people. They yeah, just, they, get, yeah. they get a lot of metal explodes into their face. So how similar was this to the Raven? <laughs> <laughs> so similar. Um, if we look at the letterbox synopsis for the Raven, 1963's The Raven, directed by Roger Corman, not written by Roger Corman. It says, a magician who has been turned into a Raven turns to a former sorcerer for help. Now, that's sort of what happens. Yeah, I didn't I mean, know he was a for, I didn't know he was a former sorcerer. That was kind of news to me. But um, I guess so. Now, this is also written by um, Richard Matheson. Does the script as he had done for several of the Poe movies, 
And for him, when he was told that they wanted to make a movie out of the poem, The Raven, he was like, well, then I guess it has to be a comedy because why? there's nothing to this poem. The poem is literally a guy who is just thinking about a, a, you know, the woman he's lost and then a raven shows up. That's all that really happens. There's nothing to it. So there was a lot of areas to go. So instead, it's uh, Vincent Price, Peter Lorre, and Boris Karloff as a bunch of rival sorcerers. And Peter Lorre... <laughs> Peter that Lorre sounds sh- amazing. Yeah. yeah. Peter Lorre has been turned into a raven by Boris Karloff and shows up. And then Vincent Price helps him turn back to normal. Is there... Do, do we ever get a scene with ravens talking? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Early on. Yeah. Early on. The first scene is with the Raven is with Peter Laurie, but Peter Laurie's voice uh-huh. coming through the Raven. Yeah. So, yeah, right off the bat. Um, and they use a real Raven. That was my favorite part. That a really? full, real-ass Raven mm-hmm. flies in, lands on the chair. At, at one point, Vincent picks it up on his arm and it like ch- it hops to his shoulder mm-hmm. and actually i look when i watched the director's commentary or rather just the commentary because it was not roger corman but they they said that that raven won a patsy award yes he which should've. is a picture animal top star of the year award to that raven he should have that's what that <laughs> is <laughs> that sounds like an insult yeah he did he did a great job it's a great it's a they had did. it trained so when Peter Laurie's, you know, was speaking. The raven held its mouth open. Yeah, it didn't oh, wow. like didn't open and close. Oh, they didn't give it like close. a little bit of peanut butter to like no. chomp no, on. It just held, <laughs> yeah, it held its mouth open, which I no. loved. Yeah, it just had its mouth open as his voice went went on. And uh, I was fully charmed by that raven. However, I would give him a second Patsy Award. Yeah, he, he won the Patsy Award in my heart. That's for sure. The however, uh, Jack Nicholson who does show up and young Jack Nicholson shows up as Peter Laurie's son. <laughs> who Mark will appreciate. I described as Ryan. Isn't that the guy that always goes to the Lakers game and wears the sunglasses? Mm-hmm. That That's her cinematic that my, touchstone. <laughs> that was my touch point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, first of wow. all, she said, Hey Ryan, isn't that the guy? And I'm like, I'm going to need more context. <laughs> <laughs> and then that was the context. And then the context is, you know, the guy that goes to the Lakers games. I'm like Jack Nicholson. <laughs> She's like, "Yep, you know me." I'm like, uh, "That's the only film. That's the only thing way you know Jack Nicholson." <laughs> anyway, wow. he 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 plays Peter Laurie's son in this, and he mentioned, uh, I guess, to the press that that Raven had diarrhea and shit all over everything and everyone. Yeah, it was a smear campaign against his Patsy Award. Yeah. I'm on to you, Nicholson. He was upset that that bird was getting so I'm much attention. How does a bird get diarrhea? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Exactly. Isn't that just called bird shit? Yeah, yeah. That's bird I've, shit. I've never yeah. had a bird shit I was on like, anything, and I've yeah. looked at it and been like, boy, that bird's got dio. May, right. This may this may right. have been Jack Nicholson's first interaction with bird poop, where he was like, "Oh, it looks so wet and gross." This, this or his bird first interaction with birds. Maybe yeah, he's exactly. never been around a bird. And right. ravens are huge, so yeah, yeah. their shit is going to be disgusting. Yeah, it's because be gross. they are big birds, and he has to have the bird I'm on heated. him a couple times. I am heated at his response to that raven. <laughs> I am heated. He you know plays. What? Uh, stay, stay in your lane. Stay at those Lakers games, Nicholson. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, he he doesn't even go to those Lakers games anymore. It's his son that goes. Oh, he doesn't. Why doesn't he go? Uh, he's very old now. I, I don't think huh? he's. <laughs> he thinks all the Lakers have diarrhea, so he doesn't go yeah. anymore. You know what? <laughs> it wouldn't be wrong this season. <laughs> oh, jokes. Yeah. Oh, jokes about basketball. You know what they do constantly? The Lakers is get rebounds like a bunch of turds. <laughs> <laughs> like a bunch of wet turds. They, sh- they wet should not turds. do that. Don't that do that. I'm telling terrible you. Idea. Terrible yeah, idea. I I, th- I think there needs to be an offensive and defensive unbound stat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, the good thing about this movie was it actually was it is a good it actually was a decent it was a decent comedy I was going to try is what I'm trying to say. And so they opened with some of the poem being uh, as voiceover with with uh from vincent price and they end with a quote with vincent price looking right at the camera so they it's like it breaks the fourth wall but in between is a bunch of stuff that matheson just went crazy for including all the stuff with the wizards and uh peter laurie turning in and out of a raven eventually they go and and, and peter laurie apparently improvised a lot of his lines Uh, this is one of his last roles not the last role but one of his last roles before he passed away he passed away sort of like around 59 or so. He had, had a lot of health problems. And so, uh, so, but he was kind of like, I, I'll get the script, but I'm just going to do whatever I want, which was fine with Vincent Price. Not so great with Boris Karloff, who didn't, couldn't really roll with a lot of improv. Mm. Uh, he tried to keep close to the script. And, and, and he was dealing with his own stuff because he's being asked to wear this giant cape for his character. And apparently he had tons of back issues. So like walking around in that cape really pissed him off. And God, I think I love Boris Karloff just being mad about being an actor. Yeah, right. Oh, <laughs> someone's going on oh. script. I have to wear a weird costume. I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently I think this is the reason why they eventually make The Terror, which is a Roger Corman film that I almost made us watch. But I had, I had got, made us watch. Made us, yeah, yeah, forced you to watch it. You no, really did you showed, ever? You really showed me. <laughs> I'll make open your eyes. You. Watch this I'm, movie, like a Clockwork <laughs> Orange style. Yeah. I'm going to strap you to a chair and just yeah. keep your eyes open. But, keep just putting eye drops in your eyes and force you to watch the terror. Uh, that no, we we got we got the Kino Lorber disc for the Raven. So I really wanted to crack that open and give it a whirl. And I'm glad I did because I think it's a really good movie. And it was actually a decent comedy and a good way of showing, as we've talked to people about what kind of comedy Roger Corman likes, in particular Alan Holzman, he said he he likes kind of big, silly comedies. Yeah. yeah. And the thing about this is that it is, the comedy in this is definitely silly. Yes, it is not subtle. <laughs> but it's played by Peter Lorre, who's a very good actor. So it's not that hammy. And in fact... I think Pete, uh, Jack Nicholson is way goofier, say, in like uh, the original Little Shop of Horrors, when he does like a cameo as a as a dentist patient who loves pain, and he's way more over the top. So there there isn't that kind of thing. It isn't so broad, but it has Vincent Price who can also go a little broad. You got Peter Lorre who's goofing off, and so you kind of got a sense of like, okay, this is this is Roger Corman's sort of sense of humor. This is the kind of thing that he likes. And it's not too far off from House of Usher in terms of the sets and even uses, recycles some of the ending footage of the castle burning, mm-hmm. which they repurposed for this film, um, which you have to love that. They repurposed it. But getting back to Karloff, apparently he finished uh, or he didn't. He, he, he was having I think it's the problem with the cape. 
But anyway, he ended up owing Corman a couple of days. And that's where they start making the terror because what he did is that he got Karloff and he got him on a set and he just shot a bunch of scenes with Boris Karloff and then decided to make the rest of the movie later. And that's what the terror is. Is a and and it's got bits and pieces uh, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, Jack Hill, like a bunch of people all took their shots trying to like make footage that would then go around this footage they got of Kor- Karloff owing him some time, and um, eventually then they take that that footage and they make Targets that which is um, the first movie from Peter Bogdanovich. So a lot of that comes out of the Raven. So that's mm. that's the good news. And it's also I don't think it was the first time that the three of them had worked together because I believe they had done the three uh, main actors because I believe they had done a movie called um, uh, I'm I'm forgetting the name the comedy uh, the comedy of terror no that's not it what's it called give me a second <clears throat> Silver Streak. Silver Streak, they did, yeah. They teamed <laughs> with Richard Pryor. <laughs> um, I remember being so disappointed because that Richard Pryor was only in like the last quarter of that movie. I, you remember th- that far better than I do. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, what? Uh, I have not seen that movie in I don't know how long. I, I should give it a rewatch. I yeah, think you, I, 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 I take it back. It is called the Comedy of Terrors. The Jacques, Jacques Tourneau uh, film oh, that has you. the three of them. Yeah, look at you. So, the Comedy of Terrors is actually right afterwards. So they do that, um, and they had worked at least uh, Vincent Price and Peter Laurie had worked together on Tales of Terror, which is again another Roger Corman film for AIP. Um, that's also in the, the, the Poe cycle and that has mm-hmm. Basil Rathbone instead of Boris Karloff. Anyway, just so you know, oh, uh, that's good info. Yeah. Um, apparently, uh, what's incredible about Vincent Price is, I guess, a retired sorcerer. I didn't realize he was retired, but he it is just says former sorcerer, former sorcerer. He's not retired. I he's, he's just, just he's, on he's moving on. He's, he's on moving on to another, to a new life. Yeah. Well, he's, once you get that sorcerer pension. It's you know you're done. Once that kicks you're like, in, you're like, once I that can't, kicks in, you're like, if I, I if I do work. any magic, I lose the and pension. He, I can't do that. And you knew he was a sorcerer because he draws the raven. He draws the raven in the very beginning with his magic. hand. Which um, it was interesting. The person, the film historian who does the commentary, was like, "This is all now like magic with your hand was all is all now very normal due to like Harry Potter stuff." But at the yeah. time, seemed sort of revolutionary and. And in the movie, Boris Karloff wants to learn his hand manipulations. That's what he wants the secret. He is a, he is now, um, he is Vincent Price has his wife who's passed away. And so he's sort of like living in that castle. And then when he shows up, he realizes that actually his wife has not died. And in fact, is just living with Boris Karloff. Yeah. She faked her death. Because they even like see her dead body in the coffin, he yeah. and Peter Laurie. But she's actually living with Boris Karloff, <clears throat> who's called Dr. Scarabus. And of uh, course, of course it is. Yeah. Of course yeah. he is. And uh, so she's living with him because he she thinks probably he's got made the... fun of a lot when he was a kid for that. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It's a rough upbringing. Because his first name was Doctor. Yeah. <laughs> it is weird. <laughs> you could have written this. Look at you. <laughs> 
Yeah, Scarabus exactly. is cool as hell. <laughs> Doctor's yeah. your first name? What an idiot. <laughs> and you're studying magic? You suck. <laughs> um, so she thinks he's the cool magician. So they go yeah. to his castle, all of them, including Vincent Price's daughter and Jack Nicholson, who's uh, Peter Lorre's son. And they all go off to the castle together and they all get trapped in his, in, a, in like his, he has, of course, I mean, you have a castle, you definitely have a dungeon. So yeah. they get trapped in there, they break out. And what ends up happening is they have Vincent Price and Boris Karloff have a wizard's duel. Yeah. Which is probably the reason to see this movie. Oh, yeah. yeah it is, uh, it's, it's pretty great. It's wonderful yeah it's pretty great and it has like yes it has a lot of dated special effects for sure for sure but it's pretty they basically go spell to spell as they sit in chairs they sit in chairs yeah Mm -hmm. and they wizard duel (laughs) they wizard duel it's great it is great it's like oh i see your flying sword here's you know confetti it's not that but well there is confetti there is confetti okay spoil it ryan god damn it (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. well mark just told us everything about fucking i didn't i I didn't though i didn't tell you i I saved i saved the funny part which is frankenstein's monster kills dr frankenstein and storms off unbound into the snow (laughs) completely unbound So uh, Dr. Buchanan goes chasing after him because he's like, oh shit, he's going to go to the city and kill again. I, how he thinks that that's going to happen, I don't know. But anyway, eventually, doesn't matter. Just follow the eventually logic. the Frankenstein's monster ends up in a cave oh. and it's full of computers. And what? Dr. Buchanan comes into the cave and when he walks in, a voice says, welcome back, Dr. Buchanan. And you find, and the monster then tells him that the cave is the central brain for the nearby city. And it's the last one in the world after it's been destroyed by Buchanan's ultimate weapon that will won't hurt mankind. How the monster knew that, no idea. How, yeah. like he's he smarter than you think. He he's smarter than you for, think. You know, he, he's from eighteen seventeen. He's smarter I, than you think, though. So. <laughs> Buchanan. People always don't think he has much going on, but they always underestimated him. Always, (laughs) always, always. That's when he was. That's when he's bound. Yeah, you know what they didn't know was he had so many different chunks of brains. He was a genius. Mm -hmm. His brain was unbound. Yeah, Um, he has brain stew going on up there, and there's a bunch of chunky pieces in it. Yeah. So then Buchanan uses the computers to kill the monster with lasers. Oh, oh wow that's pretty great that's the end of the movie wow that's the end that's that's and it then he just, you know, dr buchanan's just walking off into the snow and that's it he's still trapped in the future and that's Fu- the end or of the, the movie. past right or no no, no he's, not, okay. he's gone way, okay. way ahead to the future God, keep up ryan oh, i'm sorry God. i'm sorry this movie oh, wish i could movie, wizard stool you right now <laughs> this oh, movie fill you with made, balloons <laughs> Float you away. <laughs> this movie was made for eleven point five million dollars. How much wow. do you think this movie made? Uh, a million, maybe. A hundred thousand. Um, Ryan, a dollar, fifty thousand. <laughs> yeah, twenty nine ninety five. I'm going low. I'm going price. Price is right. Rules. I'm going a dollar. <laughs> you went a million, one hundred. I don't know. Somewhere, yeah. somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in there. I'm giving you a range. I'm gonna say three million. 
Okay. $335,000. Yeah. Oh, no. Not a huge success. <laughs> but an excellent tax write off. What, what? How do you quali- qualify success? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think from I mean, what Mark taught it... us is that it's an unbound success. Yeah, it's an so... unbound success, for sure. Well, I'd say its success is definitely unbound. Uh, it, it, it seems like it's bound it seems like its success is tied up this movie i'm almost sure i'm almost positive we will see in our vinegar syndrome subscription by the end of the year <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It, uh, it does sound like a title that they yes. would get behind uh-huh and is this yeah. made by at this point this is made by um by what which company did did he do for this one Oh, I uh, wasn't aware one, there was going to be a quiz, Mark. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Get your this pencil. One, this one is by, it's a really like a smaller, low budget studio called 20th Century Fox. Oh, well, that's right. <laughs> he went to, back to Fox for this one. Mm-hmm. Is it not through New Horizons or no, any it's, of that? No, it was distributed by, well, it's the production company is Trimark and The Mount Company. Huh. Mm. Oh, wow. And it was distributed by 20th Century Fox and Trimark Pictures. Wow. Wow, they really took a bath on this one. Oh, I, I forgot to mention also, Jason Patrick plays <gasps> Lord Byron in this movie. Oh my wow. god, you really did forget that. How dare Woo! you? <laughs> Just when I thought it couldn't get any more enticing. <laughs> yeah. You released that little nugget. I, this movie, uh, I... Uh, everyone should watch this. I, I really, you should. Yeah. I'm not going to say it's good, but... It I uh, was... because you're gonna say it's great. <laughs> <laughs> what you're describing is sounds pretty terrific. So yeah, it's, it's it is really really strange. But um, <laughs> you know, it's not Devil Story strange. But no, no, nothing is. But nothing is because no one tries to kill a horse. <laughs> well, let let's ask this because you watch we watch separate movies. Obviously, I felt like again, and we we talked about this in the first annual Roger Corman birthday celebration uh, that it did show to me the amount of craft that Corman actually has as a director. And I still felt that that was the case for the Raven. Um, what did you think, Erica? If it, what's the question? <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand the question. If, if it, you, if you felt like, Oh, look at Roger Corman knows how to direct a movie is essentially what I'm saying. Yeah, but I also think he had three really good actors. For sure. And also Jack Nicholson, the guy from the Lakers games. Right, and also the guy from the Lakers games. (laughs) So (laughs) I think that that maybe played a part in... you know, making it's, it's, I would imagine I'm not a director, so what do I know? But it's got to be easier when you have strong talent like that. Sure. And I think you have three guys who not only understand horror very well and creepy, you know, kind of spooky um, themes and movies, but, but they are also very good comedic actors. Yeah. It really plays really well, but yeah, I mean, I think Raj has got it. Do I think Raj has, has it? course i do yeah i just you know you well i'm just saying we've watched a lot of these new world movies and then you look at some of his stuff that he's directed and you're like before he started new world pictures at least this one frankenstein unbound sort of being very much post new world pictures 
And it's like, uh, it's just amazing to see like, yeah, he, he's a really good director. Like he really knows it. Again, he has a script from Richard Matheson. Right. He has three incredible legendary actors in his film and also Jack Nicholson. <laughs> <laughs> Soon to be Lakers fan legend. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. A, a, a Lakers fan legend. How he parlayed sure. his salary on this movie into being able to afford all those Laker tickets. I don't know. But yeah. Good for him. I don't know. He's just, got a great financial advisor. Yeah. Uh, and and it's and in fact, apparently one of the stories is too is that Roger Corman, who actually employed Jack Nicholson for a long time in a bunch of movies, but he was still telling Jack Nicholson, "I'm not sure this acting thing's going to take off for you, so keep writing," because he was writing scripts for Corman. <laughs> and so <laughs> apparently, one of the actresses in it told stories of like Jack Nicholson being like, oh, "I got to hurry up and go home and get writing because he that's all he kept talking about because he wanted to keep writing scripts because he was not 100% that the acting thing was going to take off. Mm. He probably always knew in the back of his mind that being a basketball fan was going to take off. Yeah. Yeah. But but whether or not acting was going to be his uh you know, his job, he wasn't 100%. Uh but yeah, I just think it showed a lot of like, you know, Roger Corman knows how to make a movie and I, in fact, I think that that's probably why at times um, and he also knew what he was marketing, but at, at times that's probably why he takes over so many movies, why he's so involved in a lot of the editing process for the movies and new world pictures. Cause he knows he's a good director. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. And then he goes in and sees what other people do, did. And he's like, nah, we're going to, you know, change this. We're going to do this or that. You know, yeah. um, did you feel similarly, Mark? Here he is finally behind the director's chair again after 20 odd years for Frankenstein Unbound. Did it show a lot of good craft, craftsmanship? Uh, I mean, people said their lines when they were supposed to and presumably hit their mark as to where they needed to stand and move. Um, the camera the cam didn't go out of focus then? The camera so. didn't go out of focus. Okay, good. So, yes, he pulled off making this movie. I think <laughs> it took a lot of craft because this movie is wild. Okay. And okay. I give him credit for not halfway through going, this is ridiculous. I'm not doing this anymore. He, Incidentally, yeah, you give him credit he, for not quitting mid movie. Right. <laughs> but I, I honestly, there's no, I don't, I didn't see anything that I was saying that I was thinking this is a real hallmark of his way of directing, or there was any stylistic element to it, but it's also hard to say or hard to identify those things because the like you're you're scratching your head at what this movie is the whole time that i mean i it just there anyone could have directed this and it would have probably looked the same because it's just a weird movie i want to bring up my i mentioned my favorite scene just to kind of punctuate why uh, uh why this <laughs> movie is so weird at one point in time he's driving with mary shelley and he's talking to her about the book and she says I've only written a couple chapters. How do you know about my book? He goes, because I'm for the future and I've read your book. And she goes, so I do complete the book. And he goes, yeah. Then he proceeds to print out the book in the car because the car has its own printer. Wow. Of course it and does. So, and so it, it, he pulls out this piece of paper. It has the picture of Mary Shelley that looks like Bridget Fonda. She looks at it. She goes, that's my book. And she picks it up and she puts it back and says, no, I'm not going to read it. Mm -hmm. like, why you just all your work is done you can just take that home and be like write it down flip write down the same page flip you're done 
This is a short. She didn't cut. want to plagiarize herself. Herself. Yeah. herself. Well, well, it also shows that like Mary Shelley's like not a very great writer because she was merely writing things that happen. <laughs> right. Yeah. She lived in right. a she lived right. in a scenario wherein Frankenstein did create a yeah. monster. And yeah, he's right. a guy that she knew, mm -hmm. so she was right. merely recounting something that she saw. And right. In creating, as you said, you know, fictionalized history. That's fair. So, right. yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. you know. Yeah. So hey, I know a doctor learned, who created well, a dead person out of nothing or out of body yeah. parts. I should write a so book what, about it. What this movie ultimately says is Mary Shelley's a shit writer. Yeah. Exactly. No, she was just the first, like, entertainment writer. <laughs> she was the, she, she was like the original TMZ. She, she was. Just, <laughs> sensationalized real events and uh -huh. you know i'm surprised that you're saying doing it her doesn't... own 1817 podcast yeah. yeah yeah i'm surprised that you're saying that this doesn't have any visual flair because it looks like the cinematographer for frankenstein unbound was armando nanuzzi who was the cinematographer for silver bullet and maximum overdrive <laughs> well i mean okay it's I, visually it's fine i just <laughs> and a cool 85 minutes i was watching it and then i uh, had to go use the restroom uh and paused and was shocked that i only had 15 minutes left oh wow I'm like this movie's almost over yeah how, how? uh it, it breezes by let me say that that's how uh, it, that's what it shares with a devil story that thing does fly by I, that's funny. I must have got a different copy of Devil Story because when I watched it, it seemed I was surprised that it wasn't three and a half hours. <laughs> I thought it breezed on by. So really? weird. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's good. I'm glad that we. Uh, I'm glad we enjoyed two different films. <laughs> yeah. Um, um. Happy birthday, Roger. Happy birthday, Roger. Happy birthday, Rog. Yeah. Um, this was, uh, you know, a couple of good movies you should check out from Roger Corman. We definitely have to see Frankenstein Unbound. Uh, sounds like one of the weirdest things ever. And it sounds like we'll be getting the disc soon. So <laughs> it, we won't have yeah. to work too hard at it. Yeah. Or get one of those Blu-ray uh, quality rips off of YouTube. Either way. <laughs> Um, yeah. I should. I. I I'm, I'm not sure where the where you can watch the Raven. I will say that. Um, I think you can get it on a lot of different. My. It's probably on Amazon uh, Prime. Let me see. Uh, it's on Tubi. So there it is. You can oh, watch that on Tubi if you don't want to get the you disc. Can watch anything on Tubi. Just about. Just about. So those are the movies we watched: The Raven and Frankenstein Unbound. So um, I would recommend seeing them both. Uh, having not seen one of them. <laughs> i'm excited I'm we you. get to continue to do this uh birthday celebration for roger corman um 96 years old i mm. can't believe it and if you if you've seen anything recently uh there they did a uh, shout factory did a little uh, april fool's joke with roger corman that um he was going to redo battle beyond the stars and have jason muse direct it that was there and they made a little video and you could huh. see Roger Corman reading something off screen, but he was still like, I mean, it's 96 years old and he's still just, you know, he's still at it. He's still at it. And so that's it for us. That's it for this celebration. Second annual celebration. Um, we hope you enjoy this episode 
and we will see you next time on the New World Pictures Podcast. Bye, everybody. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I watched New World, weak and weary, over a many quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping of some, someone gently rapping, rapping on my door. To some visitor, I muttered to Ryan, tapping on our door. <laughs> Only this and nothing more. Ah, uh, Ryan distinctly remembers. It was a bleak December, and with each dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow. Vainly I had sought to borrow from Ryan's books surcease of sorrow. Sorrow for the lost Rajor. For the rare and radiant man <laughs> who's the angel's name Rajor. Nameless here, evermore. (laughs) (laughs) Happy birthday, Roger. Couldn't get any better than that.